This podcast is brought to you by New Doc Editing. In the art of documentary storytelling, filmmakers at every stage of production get help improving their works in progress. Each episode is a one-time editorial session with acclaimed story consultant Karen Everett. The goal is simple, to make an illuminating documentary that keeps viewers glued to the screen. Welcome, my name is Karen Everett. Director Vicki Leslie came to me 10 years into the making of her first feature documentary. Her film is called The Atom, A Love Affair. It's about the politics and history of nuclear power. Structurally, it's a chronological quest about our on-again, off-again love affair with atomic power. It's a clever and friendly construct. But as the years went on and the political polarization grew more severe, the prospect of how this film would go over with her audiences got more and more frightening. It's one of the things I feel a little bit nervous about kind of putting the film out there, really, because... It's really difficult because I sort of, you know, I'm torn between, on the one hand, I sort of think it doesn't matter what I, like, I'm not trying to make a film about what I think. Like, who am I? Like, who cares what I think sort of thing. Actually, Vicky was a seasoned professional in the UK television industry. And her rough cut was impressive. Featuring old movie clips to dramatize the love affair, the visuals also include archival footage of nuclear disasters at Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. But the end of her film was problematic. This final section was, you know, hugely long and went on for, you know, probably twice this length, teasing out all these different aspects. And then maybe I do just need to kind of just choose one of them. And that's specifically what Vicky asked me to help her with. So here was our challenge. How could we transform her slow and wishy-washy ending into a dramatic conclusion? Hi, Vicky. Are you there? Hi, Karen. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm good. good, thanks. This is just a gorgeous, important film, and I think oh, the thank research... You very much. Yeah, the sales agent said, especially in Europe, she thinks that um, it should go quite well at a, at a TV hour, so... The writing is excellent. Did you hire a writer? Did you write yourself? No, no, that was me. Oh, good. And we're trying to get, um, like, a big name. Uh, we've got connections to Emma Thompson or maybe, or maybe Gillian Anderson. I think a woman is the right choice since yes, there are so many male voices. to be a woman, yeah. I was glad Vicky had decided to use narration. Maybe it was her TV background that allowed her to go against the current fashion in the independent documentary world to avoid the so-called voice of God narration. Here's a short clip featuring the film's final narrator, actress Lily Cole who starred in Alice in Wonderland. As the first decade of the new century came to a close, the nuclear renaissance was in full swing. The world had fallen back in love with the glorious atom. And then... Operator? Operator, there's been a bad accident. Bad accidents spurred the no-nukes movement which gave the middle of Vicky's film great momentum. But the ending was a little sleepy. To pick up the pace, we'll cut some of the confusing sections and then turn to the more serious problem. Vicky essentially has a story-driven documentary that loses its dramatic through-line in the final 20 minutes. At that point, the story morphs into a film about ideas, what's often called an essay-style documentary. 
Lots of talking, chapter headings, and not a lot of action. Normally, I don't like chapter headings because they're used as a crutch when editors can't craft a logical structure. But that wasn't even the real problem here. This final chapter feels anticlimactic. And there's no big sort of captivating concept in this section, um, as in previous sections, like climate change as a plot point or the Mm -hmm. Chernobyl incident. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think all of these problems are solvable. How do you bring intrigue to a story-driven film that has become a long-winded essay? One way would be to restore the plot line and add a climax. Another would be to accelerate time. More on those options later. Right now, I'm going to propose another possible solution for the ending. Broaden the film's geographical scope. So the first idea would be to make a concerted change in the location of the love affair from west west to east, because most of the film concentrates on the west very well. So you you know way more about the topic than I do. And I guess I just wanted to ask. I like um, that. My worry is whether I've got the material in which to do that. I don't don't really have any. Yeah, I don't. I mean, apart from I've got that, (laughs) got that quote. Vicky is concerned she might not have the interview clips to support a section on China. But she has two key tools at her disposal, voiceover narration and visual storytelling. For example, archival footage or purchased contemporary images. Both solutions are easier and probably less expensive than filming pickup interviews. It's not completely impossible that I could do another interview with somebody but I'd obviously, there's obviously cost implications to that. And I'd have to, because I feel like yeah. there's, just, there's already millions of people in the film. Do you know, do I, I yeah. can't just put someone in at the end. So if I was going to introduce, interview someone else, they'd have to kind of appear earlier in the film as well, which might have other implications, you know. So I don't know All right. about that. But if there's but, ways to do that without, from my existing material or tricks really with archive and imagery, I don't know. But I like that's an interesting I, idea as a, yeah, n- a new kind of thought at the end. I've got interviews around the issues mm-hmm. that okay, China good. brings up. So, yeah, so that is quite So maybe the, the narration will do the heavy lifting in terms of what you want to say about China, uh, but the in, and the interviews can fill in the gaps. Mm. Um, and then um, I think if you shorten the final chapter, okay. you know, that, that, that way the last two chapters will be quite short, which will feel like we're accelerating. Yeah. So in that case, you would start, the final chapter with the uh, narration about the, but the flames of romance haven't died down yet. The other thing I would do to shorten the chapter is um, I've suggested three cuts. You can check my notes, see if you can live without these or mm-hmm. move them earlier. One other idea, you could pivot from England to China uh, very yes. easily. There's a point at um, 126.15 where you can transition off a soundbite that mentions Far East. Yeah, I know the one you mean, yeah. Here's that soundbite, now in the final cut. I don't think you can be confident that it is going to happen this time in the Western world. I think you'd be confident it's going to happen in uh, the Far East, in China. Right here, Vicky added a new chapter heading, Embrace from the East. Today, 
there's a new knight in shining armour hoping to breathe romance into the flagging affair. Okay, so second bold idea. And I'm expecting you might give me pushback. So hear me <laughs> <Okay>. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, I've read recently from a few sources that nuclear technology is, is uh, getting safer and cleaner exponentially. The most convincing case was um, in Steven Pinker's new book, Enlightenment Now. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it, there's, it just yeah, came out. There's a whole yeah, chapter. I've not read it, but yeah, I know. There's a whole chapter on nuclear there. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and it's, you know, he's a pretty progressive guy, and he's saying, yeah. look, people, and his audience is, you know, pretty educated. Uh, it's not what you think. There's more research coming down, and there really is a possibility that nuclear can solve our problems. So if you introduce this idea, you'd be answering the question, can we make nuclear power plants that can't melt down? And you would answer it with with something like there's a whole new crop of nuclear research and entrepreneurs who are reimagining how we can use this technology. I do have interview stuff on that, but actually interestingly, okay. nearly everybody I've to, even including the guy, the DOE guy, even he was saying... Huh. It's a long way down the road, like it's all still really experimental and still like many years from commercial applications. And those interviews were done when? 2013? So, yeah, like the majority of them were done like 2012, 2013. She has interviews saying there's new technology coming, but they were filmed four or five years ago. And I don't know enough about the topic to judge whether these interviews make the same promising arguments that others have more recently. One of the challenges of making a science documentary over so many years is that technology changes at warp speed. Remember earlier I mentioned speeding up time? It's a technique I learned from one of my intellectual mentors, Sheila Karan Bernard. In her book Documentary Storytelling, she says creating the sense that time is running out is one way to add drama to the end of an essay-style documentary. I'm suggesting to Vicky that compressing time into exponential growth could be dramatically explosive. <laughs> no pun intended. Vicky needs to do more research. In addition to ending with a geographical shift, maybe she could craft an electric charge by imagining how quickly nuclear technology could become safe. So... Get Pinker's book, um, yeah, which came out in 2018. Read the chapter and see if what he says is any different from what they say. Because yeah. the concept of exponential, most people don't really wrap their head around. It's like doubling growth every, you know, whatever year. Yeah. It's kind of like in fine cut stage, you know, you got to do your fact checking. And, and this is kind of along those lines. Yeah. It's just seeing, yeah. okay, before this goes out into the world, <laughs> is there anything new I should be aware of? Yeah. I'm glad you're saying, yep, this is all making sense so far. Yeah. It feels like it hasn't any Whereas The rest of it is all like it's, you know, out with a whimper, not a bang and sort of that. And that's been a lot of the problems I think that I've been having with how how to finish it up. So, yeah, you're, I think you're spot on. Yeah. <laughs> I think part, part of the reason it's, it's going out with a whimper and not a bang is because the final chapter is too long. It's 10 minutes. Yeah. And yeah. In a traditional, I mean, this isn't exactly a traditional three-act climax, although, you know, you approximate it well using the protagonist as the atom itself. Using the protagonist as the atom itself 
What I meant to say is using the protagonist as humanity itself. In this romantic story, it's humans who are the protagonists. Why? Because they have the power of choice. They want something. Safe, renewable energy. The atom isn't a protagonist, but a kind of character, cleverly cast as an object of romantic desire. Stepping back even further, Vicky has constructed a film that is part story-driven and part idea-driven. These are the two major prototypes for documentaries these days, and they're often combined. Of the two, the dominant structural vehicle for Vicky is the story. And that's good news because audiences tend to respond more emotionally to stories than ideas. This documentary has many juicy plot points that can provide launching pads for big ideas. Our chief job now is to decide how to end with a bang. I'm holding up a couple structural solutions. Will the protagonist, a.k.a. humanity, expand the love affair beyond its western borders to the east? And will the plot accelerate, with humanity envisioning a nuclear technology that grows exponentially safer? This isn't a perfect three-act structure, in which the third act is the final 15% of the film and the protagonist digs down deep to achieve their goal. But we can approach that ideal. Generally, the final act is the shortest act, and shorter means accelerating pace, rising action. So the most important thing you need to figure out is do you want to include these sort of new bold ideas about A, China, and B, new technologies? And if you if you do, I think I mean, your I will do be probably. I mean, they were, they were, okay. it's so interesting that you've pulled these things out because these were things, you know, this end, this final section, it was, you know, hugely long and went on for, you know, probably twice this length previously because I was just trying to cover all the way too many sort of final thoughts, you know, teasing out all these different aspects. And maybe I do just need to kind of just choose one of them. Yep. Yeah. But it's common for, for filmmakers to kind of put a whole bunch of, Ideas that they haven't been able to get into the film at the end. Yeah. So it's okay. It's okay that you did that um, because you, you have some good ones to choose from. We should explore the question, how do you want the viewer to feel when yeah. the film ends? And, and I want to get to that in a moment. But first we must take on the deadly denouement. It's a term I use to describe the end of a rough cut or a film that goes on way too long. And it can ruin both an essay-driven and a story-driven documentary. In screenwriting theory, the denouement has three functions. First, to tie up loose ends. Second, to give the viewer a breather after the climax scene and before the credits roll. And third, perhaps most importantly, to present a snapshot of what life is like now for the protagonists, whether they've reached their goal or not. In this film... Humanity doesn't find safe nuclear power or shut down nukes altogether. But Vicky can still present a satisfying resolution rather than just peter out with a bunch of sound bites that go on and on. Accelerate, then resolve by driving home a theme or an intentional point of view. No, that makes sense. This feeling of leading up towards the end is good because it, yeah, exactly. it feels at the moment like it, it just kind of <laughs> peters out, doesn't it? And I think if you just switch to the East and bring in this hopeful idea of new uh, safer technologies 
And then you can even end with, well, we've been through this before. I'm not so sure. Uh, you'll probably be able to retain the point of view you want. It's like you said earlier about what do I, what do I want the audience to feel at the end. Like, I think that's what I have to just maybe... Yeah, how do you I want the really audience get that to feel clear in end? my mind? I think it's in a way, like, the answer would... It depends on who you are, like, that's going to come... I think the reality from my sort of outreach and the, the interest we've had, the best interest is, is from all the anti-nuclear people. But I don't... I've always, well, for a long time, after barring the first very early period of working on it, I've always wanted it to not just be a thing that's preaching to the choir. There seems no point, like, what's the point of doing that? Like, I don't need to tell anti-nuclear people why nuclear is a bad idea. That's boring. <laughs> She's right. And Vicky has a more cunning vision in mind, to get her viewer to stand in the shoes of someone who lives across the way, in another ideological world. So I want people who think that they don't like it to sort of come away going, actually, I can sort of understand now why people say it's a good idea you know they're not just kind of either deluded or evil or whatever you know it's actually there's real reasons why they thought it was a good idea and also conversely it just feels like such a sort of nasty debate really and it's one of the things I feel a little bit nervous about kind of putting the film out there really because um, when I did test screenings as well I took it to Hinkley where they want to build a new one here in the UK we had a screening in Hinkley. It wasn't aimed at the anti-nuclear people, but it was predominantly the local anti-nuclear campaigners who came. And they were all, a lot of them were like having a go at me that I was much too sort of sympathetic to the industry and to people, you know, like the nuclear. And then I showed it to some nuclear, like uh, PhD students. That, um, I went to university in Cambridge. So it was like at my old college. And, um, and I got into a real sort of ding-dong with one of the, with this reactor science physicist guy he was going, oh, initially he was like, it's just anti-nuclear propaganda. And I was like, well, I mean, I knew, and it was a very early Ruska as well. So, like, and he'd missed all my, he came in 20 minutes late, which I thought was very arrogant and typical of a sort of 20-year-old Cambridge student. But he missed all my stuff at the beginning, explaining the state that the film was in. And, you know, and we had a conversation, actually, towards the end of the conversation, he completely backed down and said he saw what, he said he saw what I was trying to do, but I'd failed. <laughs> but it was interesting. I was like, well, thanks. <laughs> It was a that really, was really early. Early. Was a very- and then he started coming up with other ideas of like how it's a love affair. So like he totally came around to it. Test screenings are absolutely critical. Test viewers can tell you where they're bored or confused. Vicky's screeners were not only documentary advisors or story consultants, they were members of her intended audience. And here's something I learned from my mentor, John Else, a PBS producer. Viewers are usually right about what's wrong with a rough cut. And they're usually wrong about how to fix it. That was one of the things that helped me realize I needed to go much stronger with that, that love affair thing to really sort of underscore it. But I suppose that's what I would say. If somebody like him, I'd like him to kind of come away thinking. Yeah. That's like the anti-nuclear people aren't just trying to, you know, they're not just trying to make us all go live in caves and they're not, you know, they've got, there's some point to what they're saying. You know, just, I don't know, we would all to love each other. <laughs> you know, let me suggest to, something that, to, to make that even stronger. And I do think that your film's tone is even handed and inquiring. But toward the end, when you're writing narration for the end, you might mm-hmm. use words like, you know, in our polarized age, propagating a lover's quarrel is not productive. We want to move beyond he said, she said. So those are some phrases you can use. And, and that's not yeah, in my notes, great. by the way. Thank you.
the love affair metaphor needs to evolve or it'll get stale. This is true of any ongoing gimmick, from graphics to animations to reenactments and motifs. If each new appearance doesn't add some new bit of information or layer of understanding, it will start to feel gratuitous. But right now, we've got a bigger task to work out than wordsmithing, a metaphor. On a more abstract level, how can Vicky author her film's ending? What's the parting message and tone? You know, decide on where you want to land. So on the one hand, if, you, if your point of view in this film ends on a pot sort of a in favor of nuclear power due to new technology, that's going to surprise your viewers. They're not going to be mm-hmm. expecting that. And that jolt is something that's going to keep viewers on the edge of their seats. Um, so if, if your purpose in making this documentary is to truly ask questions and, you know, ask, ask viewers to stay open-minded, I think it's okay to sort of flip the film's, I think it currently is sort of a gentle, uh, a persuasive no to nuclear power uh, to a positive scenario for nukes. On the other hand, if you yourself have a strong anti-nuke point of view, then landing this way, you know, probably isn't the best option for you. It's really difficult because I sort of, you know, I'm torn between, on the one hand, I sort of think it doesn't matter what I, like, I'm not trying to make a film about about what I think. Um, Like, who am I? Like, who cares what I think sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, that's a sort of disingenuous thing to say because it is my film and it is my... <laughs> yes, and you you are uh, very valued as an author of these different perspectives. Yeah, the, the actual truth is, like, I started, you know, as a very paid-up, you know, anti-nuclear Greenpeace-supporting, you know, person yeah. and initially yeah. thought I was making a film about, like, how have they how have they persuaded us, like, to bring this thing back, this terrible, dangerous thing that I don't like... That's a really bad idea, you know, but because it's just taken me so long to make the film, I've been making it sort of in real time as this kind of renaissance was supposed to be happening. And it just hasn't happened. Uh, And however hard they've tried, you know, with every passing year, it hasn't happened kind of worse, Ah. you know. So I slightly kind of pivoted myself through. And also when I did the interviews was the other thing. When I met these guys, I got obsessed for a while about this thing about the different sort of worldviews, you know, that we frame it according to our own the type of person we are and how we see the whole world, you know, seemed like this like really polarizing thing. It's very difficult for a single documentary to actually change someone's worldview, though most of us filmmakers try. But Vicky had a shot at getting audiences to at least listen to another map of meaning without getting so emotionally reactive that they stop watching. A worldview, simply put, is a philosophy of life. It's important, and we need one to make meaning. These days, we're used to talking about two different worldviews and how they're deeply polarized. So in hopes of guiding Vicky to crystallize her film's takeaway message and where she stood today on the debate about nuclear power, I called her attention to the final soundbite of her rough cut. There's a debate that takes place in society, without using these terms, about what the role of, of man is on the earth. You know, are we a steward of the earth? Are we a, a user of the earth? 
or are we just leasing space for a short period of time? And depending on how you answer that question, that may guide how you come out on the question of, of nuclear power. Do you think you have the interview sound bites to describe the three, the, the stewards of the earth, the users of the earth, and the leasing space for a short time? Uh, because those are three different distinct worldviews. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, it's interesting because I don't, I, I, I never presented it to anybody like that. So I, I always counsel the question um, to the people in terms of two different worldviews. So I think he was sort of, I'm not completely sure which. Yeah. Like, well, I of think... the earth and user of the earth. I talked with Vicky about a new way of thinking about worldviews called integral theory. The integral approach sees at least three worldviews that clash in today's culture wars. It asserts that each of these worldviews has their gifts and their dysfunctions. Here's a rundown. About 5,000 years ago, the traditional worldview began transcending the prevailing warrior culture, bringing the gifts of order and stability. Today, we know it as a socially conservative and often religious worldview. Reacting to the dysfunctional aspects of traditionalism, the modern worldview emerged roughly 300 years ago. It valued scientific optimism, democracy, and material progress. But its excesses left the planet a mess, and its meritocracy left many people behind. In reaction to these dysfunctions, the postmodern worldview emerged about 150 years ago and really gained steam in the 60s. It valued sustainability and social justice. But in critiquing commerce, postmodern culture has often been quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's actually a fourth worldview called integral, which seeks to integrate the best of each of the other three worldviews. So how does all of this relate to documentary filmmaking? If a film can simultaneously present different worldviews and point out the beneficial values of each while critiquing their dysfunctions, it can do something astonishing, expand beyond its target audience, and maybe actually change somebody's worldview. Why? Because as I explained to Vicky, when viewers hear their own values taken seriously, they can hang in there and see what happens next. I couldn't say I ever got to the stage of being like a, a, a pro-nuclear, like an advocate for it. But I definitely have come to a place where I understand why the people who support it, why it's so appealing and what they like about it. So to me, and I, I think, think that's that where I want it to end is that feeling of it's like, oh, kind of what a shame. The death of that sort of great scientific technological optimism in the middle of the 20th century. You know, maybe it's, maybe that's why it feels weak at the at the moment because I'm not I'm not sort of firmly enough committing. You can still end on that sort of uh, sad. Gee, it hasn't worked yet. And at the same time, right before that, you can present new exciting possibilities. Yeah, that's, that's going to depend. That yeah, and, and so it'll be this sort of rush of hope and then a kind of yeah but hasn't worked out and just like you did now and you should you know listen to this call recording because you you just said it very well at the end the narration can say something like these future technologies are very promising however you know we've been courted and duped 
before, kind of summarize for the viewer and then just make the case that if we were speaking the same language, we'd be less polarized on the issue. Mm. In which case, you'd probably start around 1.30.06 where somebody says something about speaking the same language. And that's the message that Vicki drove home at the end of her film. Here's a short sequence. It ends with a lover's quarrel from an old movie. Advocates of nuclear power and opponents of nuclear power just didn't speak the same language. It wasn't that one of them had a monopoly of facts, it's that they interpreted the evidence differently. They saw the range of concerns differently. The nuclear controversy became bound up with a cultural conflict between the old hierarchical industrial authority and those who were arguing for an entirely different formation of society, which would be less hierarchical, more open and free. I'm not going to let you change me. You're not going to change me either. By pointing out how calcified the different viewpoints had become, this documentary lifts the viewer to a more integrated, meta-perspective. And according to one reviewer, quote, it encourages us to understand the nature of our emotional responses to its subject, end quote. When we began, Vicki lacked confidence in her film's dreadfully slow ending. But she learned how to inject drama with a shift in geography and an acceleration of time. She also learned to author her own point of view. In the end, she was able to transform a deadly denouement into a tightly edited takeaway, a message of empathy for other people's perspectives. Karen Everett is a leading documentary story consultant. She taught editing for 18 years at the number one ranked documentary program at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. Contact Karen through her website, newdocediting.com. Music is composed by Gunnar DeBose and William Ryan Fritch.